0: Welcome to the Hassle-Free RE Podcast, a real estate podcast where we bring you stories, education, and tips for investors and real estate enthusiasts. If you're interested in investing in real estate or just want to keep a pulse on what's happening in the market, then this podcast is for you. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. If you enjoy our show, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Hello, and welcome to the Hassle-Free RE Podcast. I am your host, Dave Menapace, and I am joined here by Jeff Hampton, who is the co-founder and managing partner of STR Law Guys. So let's take a quick step back. I first met Jeff in Miami, which was in September of 2022, at the Short-Term Rental Wealth Conference Retreat. Gosh, that's a mouthful these days. That's a long title, but it was a conference. And it was fascinating. Jeff gave this really neat presentation that really covered the ins and outs of asset protection, particularly in the short-term rental space. And a few big takeaways were that there, you know, an LLC is not your only line of protection. So if you think that, that's wrong. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And the other thing I found was Jeff was super entertaining, at least for me. I could have done eight hours just hanging out with Jeff and learning about this stuff. And I've never felt that way about law before. So um, I know it's a few months later than Miami, but I am super excited to have on the show and introduce Mr. Jeff Hampton. So Jeff, welcome. And let's spend some time telling your story.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate it, man. This is uh, exciting. You asked me to join you on here today. I, I had the feeling is mutual. I love being able to talk to you at the conference. And it's one of the great things about some of these conferences, you get to meet folks and get in the, the highest compliment you could ever pay me is to say that I somehow made law fun, or at least not remotely entertaining. So I'll give you, <laughs> I, I, I'll come back anytime just because you said that. So I appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Choose my words. Carefully, <laughs> rightly, I don't know, but um, well, well, this is, this is awesome. So obviously you do a lot in the short-term rental law space, but what I think would be really neat is maybe let's rewind. You don't have to tell us how far back or, or whatnot, but let's go to life before that. What were you, what was work? What were you doing for a living at that point in time before the, the law
1: firm was formed? Yeah, so I, uh, graduated from the University of Houston Law Center, gosh, 20 years ago. Um, and when I did, I left the, I left law school, came straight in to work as a trial attorney. I worked at the district attorney's office as a prosecutor for five and a half years. I actually tried everything from shoplifting to capital murder cases to, so I had a lot of trial experience during that period of time. And, uh, and I enjoyed my time there. It was a, it was a good learning experience, got, 150 plus jury trials while I was there. And then when I got out, I decided I wanted to leave the district attorney's office. It was always my dream to start my own law practice. So the natural thing for me to do at first was to start a criminal defense practice and started off by myself, led to my partner on the criminal defense side who ended up joining up with me. And in a period of time, I would say probably seven or eight years, we grew to a place where we ended up having six lawyers um, ended up reaching a pretty large portion of the North Texas area. And then I, I kind of find myself moving, working my way out of that business into a personal injury, uh, law practice where, um, I ended up joining that practice with, with actually my partner's wife, who strangely enough was in law school with me. Just oh, like no kidding. School. Yeah, it was bizarre. She sat like two seats over and I didn't even know her. So but we ended up joining up together and having a personal injury law practice. And we handled everything from car accident cases. But one of the areas where we found ourselves bringing a number of lawsuits was premises liability issues where there might be someone that was injured, um, hurt in some way on at a short term rental, um, mm-hmm. a long term rental or a commercial uh, properties that were out there. And so we were the guys, I always joke about it, but we were the big bad wolf that were actually coming to the door, serving people with lawsuits, trying to sue through to get to people's personal assets. And so that was a big part of what we did uh, for several years before that led to my own journey into investing in short term rentals.
0: Ah, so you were the opposite side of that. You were the, uh, you're playing offense and now you're a little bit more on the defense side of things. Right.
1: <laughs> got
0: it. Um so when did that switch happen? When when just for yeah. timeline's sake or, or a enough, better- yeah. so
1: that that happened for me, say 2014, 2015 is when we opened up the personal injury law practice and really kind of put the pedal to the metal. They're doing quite a bit of work in that area. And then a couple of years ago is, you know, once you get to a place as a working professional and you start looking for different ways to invest. And um, I started looking at uh, short-term rentals, of course. And so I started to buy my own short-term rentals. It started off with my wife and I found a lake house uh, that we really liked, just an area in Texas that we really love to go to so we bought a lake house and you know like like some professionals do you first buy a place and you have these dreams of thinking must spend a lot of time out there and then you realize you're not <laughs> so right. what ends up happening is we're like hey we need to rent this place out so that led us on our journey um, at that point we wanted to start learning more about short-term rentals just like many of your listeners um trying to get you know their feet underneath them and make sure it's profitable from a management perspective as well as just purchasing the right way right. um So that kind of led my wife and I on that. And we went from going from one property, went all the way up to five properties um, in a few years time. We ended up actually selling two of those in the Broken Boca, Oklahoma area um, for a nice return on that end. And we're now currently managing three. So my wife does. i got to give her a ton of credit, though, because I can't keep her out of this. She does a ton of the messaging, a lot of the back end work on it. Um, and so we're, we're just like all the rest of your listeners. We're looking forward to continue to scaling our own portfolio and trying to continue to learn more. About right. right. Um, that must've been nice
0: offloading those broken bow houses. Cause that market skyrocketed <laughs> or
1: it is, man, I'm <laughs> telling you, it was perfect because the time frame on it was right at the peak of the market and I would love to take credit for it, but I actually had an investor come by and knock on my door asking if i would be willing to sell and of course if the price is right you better believe it so
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no that's that's really really neat
1: yeah
0: um and so so you you were you were you you bought these short-term rentals you have the law practice and then at some point you sort of flipped it and you kind of said why don't i start figuring out how to help people protect their assets
1: absolutely how did that come about yeah so that kind of came about um obviously having been someone who would sue through these structures immediately i'm looking at my own you know assets and i'm saying okay hold on a second you know what what's the best way to do this and so i was sharing some of those things with some influencers that many people know bill fay mike Sherman, and some other guys that are out there Immediately, they were like, whoa, hold on a second. Um, how have I not heard about this? How are I just, you know, people just kind of go by conventional wisdom. They just assume that there are certain things that work. And I, I just tell them, I said, well, you know, you've actually brought lawsuits against these same situations. And that doesn't always just work if you throw your property into an LLC. And so it kind of became this groundswell over that period of time where when I shared this information with other investors, it was like man you, you, gotta, you gotta help me with this like I'm, I'm trying to find these resources i feel like i'm not getting clear answers and so it led to me partnering with my current uh, partner at str law guys Stephen tobin uh he's been doing asset protection work for years for probably 12 13 years and so him and i partnered together i take the experience that I know of bringing lawsuits against these type of structures. And he brings the defense side of that from uh, providing asset protection. And we put together and formed STR law guys. So it's become this kind of organic thing that has now we're I'm, I'm all in it. I'm all <laughs> <Yeah>. in it.
0: <laughs> well, and what's really neat, you know, Mike and uh, Bill and those folks is they have these fantastic followings of really well-educated people. Yeah people that aren't trying to cut corners or you know they're not they're not going to be your wholesalers or your in and out types of people very legitimate investors that really are eager to know and understand these things and then you know take advantage of that value so Absolutely. what i think would be so neat is you know maybe we get a little bit more technical now and uh it would be really neat you know cuz obviously there's all these different types of Assets, you know, from most most of the ones in our space are going to be single family homes, um, but there's different price points and people have different equity stakes in each of them. What is an example of somebody that might be really exposed? And wh- wh- why don't we start there? What's an example? Wh- what do you normally see when somebody comes to you and you're like, "Poof, you have problems in every single direction of this in terms of your exposure."
1: Yeah, so that brings up a really good question. When when people come to me, first thing I want to do is I want to see what their net worth is comprised of. So there's some people who will come to me and they'll say, well, look, Jeff, you know, I've either got a bunch of cash or maybe I've got a lot in stock brokerage accounts. And those are, I mean, that's low risk. You know, you're not renting out your brokerage accounts. Those are things that are sitting out there that are less likely to be sued um, and if someone comes to me and they have no real estate, it's an entirely different structure for asset protection than it is. If someone comes to me and says, Jeff, I don't look, I really don't have a whole lot of stock market. I don't believe in it, but I will tell you this, I've got 10 short term rentals and this has been a way that I've been able to make a living. I quit with W2 and then I go, hold on a second. The real question is this, how much of your net worth is at risk because of its because of it being located in a high risk asset? And inherently, short-term rentals and long-term rentals are high-risk assets. We all know why, because there's people, especially short-term rentals, people coming in and out of these uh, properties all the time, and you don't always get the same level of people. And some of it can be, you know, illegitimate type claims that can be brought against uh, owners of short-term rentals. And others might just be something that the reality of it is when someone gets hurt, someone wants to blame somebody. And the easy thing to do is to blame the, the owner. Um, right. So you have to make sure the goal is to segregate your, your personal assets from your business assets so that you're not personally at risk if you right. end up being sued. Right. So right. That's one of the first questions I ask, because I want to see, hey, let's figure out where we're at. at how much is your net worth is in real estate? The more of your net worth that is in real estate, the more you need to protect. Because if you don't, um, it, you're, you become an easy target. I mean, I, look, having been a personal entry lawyer, the easy thing I did is I would look and I would search and i go, wait, this guy's got a bunch of real estate. Look at who he's at. Let's go after him. Bro. Let's continue on. So well, one of the first things well, I did.
0: Anyway. Well, and, and to your point, you know, a lot of these assets are bought with you know 10% down under your personal name you know, it's an easier acquisition when you go that route, than putting 30% down with a DSCR loan under an LLC. So what are some of the initial steps one and, and, and full transparency, that's where I'm at. You know, like I, I do have eight houses. Six of those are long-term rentals under LLCs. I'm not that protected, but maybe there's a little bit of protection there. Then I have two (laughs) short-term rentals under my name (laughs) vacation home loan. Finally, they're getting proper insurance, which is our first step, but <laughs> um, I've been very exposed, you know, the last few years since being in this industry and we do plan to buy more and we co-host, we manage for people. So what are some of the initial steps that somebody can take to start just getting some protection under their belt?
1: To protect well, homes? and don't feel bad today because look, I, what I learned is 97% of short-term real owners have their properties and their personal names. So you're talking about an enormous number of people that have it that way. And they just don't, it's easier to close many times. You just don't think about it. Uh, But I tell you, you brought up a very important point. The number one place to begin to look when you're investing is number one, you have the right type of insurance because look, all of these, I can tell you about structures, entities, ways to protect yourself. But if you do not have the right type of insurance, you're leaving yourself open for an attack because I mean, I you know most of the clients I talked to. I did a boot camp back in November where I was out talking to investors, and they actually brought me their insurance policies, and they said, "No, I'm good, I'm covered." And then we went down like page 70, 72. down at the very the meat of that policy, and we find out there's a section that says exclusions, and in that exclusion section, you need to be looking for either business exclusions or commercial exclusions, and if either one of those is listed, STRs are always going to be labeled as commercial or business activity and so inherently think about this a residential policy is always going to cover things that are not business related and so if you if you're not careful and you mentioned proper and that's one example of an insurance company but there are many other insurance companies out there that can specialize specifically in commercial policies because if you don't get that you're not you're not really protected like you think that's that's layer one Okay, and then I think your next point that you made on that is uh, where do you get started? Well, once you have your insurance where it needs to be, and I usually recommend for premises liability at least a million dollars. You need at least a million dollars coverage for a premises liability event. And what I mean premises liability, I mean slip and fall. I mean someone having an incident in the pool or hot tub. Right. Um, and then after that, you talk about an, you talk about an LLC, right? You talk about even some of your own properties in an LLC. Um, well, LLCs are great. Limited liability companies. They one of the things they do inherently by themselves. They separate your ownership from their control. So you can control everything about your property, but technically you don't own it anymore. It's now moved into a a company right. uh, structure where now, I you know that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I I always warn people that I mean I did the same thing. You know I I love I, when I talk to people. They say well the first thing we'll do we'll just dump it into an LLC. And then you find out everybody can still see who you are. You can still find out there's ways to pierce through the veil of that LLC as well. So, anyway, that's where I would start: insurance first, right. and then you need to move into the LLC and then understand what the limitations are of an LLC. Right. Right. So, yes. So I and I, I I can just ramble on for hours on no. this thing, but it, you know the biggest <laughs> the biggest thing I want people to understand is what is the negatives. Here are the negatives for an LLC. Right. Having brought lawsuits against LLCs. Recognize this, if you do not follow the corporate formalities of an LLC, then essentially attorneys can do what's called pierce the veil. So in a lawsuit that comes up, I always kind of, kind of visualize this as like pulling apart the protection and being able to jump in there and get access to whatever type of uh, right. equity you have and then moving on into your personal assets. So here's the top ways that you can do that. Number one, if you don't have an annual meeting, if you don't keep your annual meeting minutes. If you co-mingle funds, here's one of the biggest ones, and we all do this. Everybody co-mingles funds. I'm sure we can all be that honest is. about it. We all do. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pay a pay a cleaner with the money. You know what happens?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Classic example is my wife standing in Costco line, and she sees something for one of our properties, <laughs> and the next thing you know, she's putting it on one of our cards, and we're trying to reimburse it. Um, so that I know that because bringing, because here's what happens in a lawsuit an attorney, a personal injury attorney will stand in front of a judge and say, judge, this isn't a legitimate business. They're, they're not even segregating their transactions. This is, you know, it's a joke. And right. then many, every single state in the entire country, there's precedent. There's law in place where courts have decided that commingling funds and not following those formalities can be a basis to lose that protection. Right. So that, that's one of the areas. So I think that's a starting point um and and i could just keep going i'll tell you the next thing on that if you're looking to buy here's the way i would say this if you're a brand new investor and you're looking to buy the short-term rental one of the first things i would tell people to do is get your insurance right but then secondly try to close in an llc and here's why if, if if at all possible if you end up closing in your personal name let's say you're in tennessee you're in florida georgia north carolina there's many of these states that have Tennessee has something called a font tax where if you have something in your personal name and you try to move it over later into an LLC, there can end up being this tax uh, liability that you end up having to pay. Uh-huh. So I always tell people it's really important when you go into a contract, Here's what you do, put your name and the signs in the contract. And it'll allow you prior to closing to assign it over into your LLC. Right. And if you can close in the LLC, you, you avoid having to go back later and deal with that mess.
0: Right. right. So, and the, and the financing behind so that's probably a topic for, for a lender that I'll find a lender to come on here at some point, but that definitely. Great point. <laughs>
1: Great point. Yeah.
0: Um, and do you ever handle that to just, you know, know the nuances or ha- help, help uh, someone walk through, you know, if they do have a mortgage under their name and then it gets transferred over. I mean, I've never seen a due on sale clause initiated, but I know it happens all like on occasion. Is that something to kind of work around or is it
1: really? So there is. Yeah. That's a really great question. So one of the things we do is we try to assess that and analyze the risk involved in it. If it's in your personal name, there is a way to work around that. In most states, you can use what's called a land trust and a land trust will actually allow you to move that into this trust mechanism that then can be assessed over into the LLC. So essentially it creates this, to get into the weeds just a second, basically we set it up, move the property in there. But here's the thing, your name's not on it because beneficiaries are never listed on a land trust, only the trustee. So your attorney can actually be the trustee for just a split second and then as soon as it's filed, they resign. Then the client takes over as the trustee. And then at that point, your name's off the record. No one can see it. And it allows you to move it over. And in fact, there is federal law out there that says having a land trust is a basis to where a mortgage company cannot call the note due. So uh, that is actually a way to avoid that due on sale clause issue. So, right. Yes. so yeah you know a lot of times because i will tell you this i'll have a lot of investors say why does it matter i'll just quickly meet it over myself That's fine just be careful understand what your risks are before you do it right
0: right right and and there are some so so um just kind of recapping so far and then, then we'll move we'll keep pushing down this road so you know step one is having the appropriate insurance step two is we'll we'll kind of leave the land trust thing on its own for a second but step two is setting up a limited liability company for that home for the asset to be placed in but the party doesn't stop there like this is only 8 30 at night nine o'clock people are still showing up right so what's what's the next let's talk about the next phase after that
1: all right so i'm gonna go this is where you go more higher level so one of the things that you do moving forward on this and i recommend this to even new investors is because you have really, uh, now you start talking about what's called a holding company strategy, which you're trying to make a decision. Does it make sense to have a holding company? Well, if you set up an LLC and just for your property that you have, uh, let's say you've got a couple of properties, two or three properties, and you set up just an LLC, and actually just before I even move on, this is important. I I see a lot of investors grouping multiple properties into one LLC. That is very risky as well, because if you put four or five properties into one, and one bad thing happens at one of those properties, all of those properties are at risk if you're LLC, if you have only one LLC holding all of those properties. So generally speaking, we recommend each property in its own LLC to segregate the risk between those business organizations. Um, but then now, here's what the two two most popular type of holding companies, the Wyoming LLC holding company. Right. A lot of people like the Wyoming LLC holding company because Wyoming has certain – they have laws that essentially say if you have a holding company in place and you have an LLC that is owned by that Wyoming LLC holding company, you are now private. So now your name is not on any of these transactions. People don't see who you are. And so you become a smaller target. And you know, as being a personal injury attorney, one of the things they do is they look on public record – to see what you own, and if they can find something, the more it looks like you own, the bigger target you are, less likely, you know, they're going to continue wanting to spring the lawsuit forward. Um, so that's the primary benefit of a Wyoming LLC, privacy. But then one of the areas we re- recommend, particularly for investors that come to me and say, Jeff, I'm, I know I've only got one or two properties right now, but I'm going to five or six. I'm going to seven or eight. I'm going to continue to put more of my net worth into real estate. I recommend they do what we call the Arizona limited partnership holding company approach. We call that the paper plan at SGA law okay. guys. And what does that mean? Well, here's the difference is under an Arizona limited partnership, you have, uh, it's kind of like a real estate syndication, right? You know, people in right. real estate syndications have a general partner and a limited partner. The general partner is the one who's running the deal. Um, he's liable because he's the one putting the deal, deal together and making sure it's run correctly. The limited partners are the folks putting money into the deal, right? They're the ones investing, but they're passive. So here's the great thing though. You, We like to set up under this structure, an Arizona limited partnership holding company with a trust as the limited partner that owns right. 99% of all the assets and then a Wyoming LLC as the general partner. Now here's why. Under Arizona law, you get privacy, for the limited partnership, it's completely private. That's the law. It says that. And then because of the Wyoming LLC statute allows you to be private there, you're completely nowhere on any of the structures. So your name's Great. not on it. But then here's where it's much better. What happens, what really matters is what happens at in-
0: Right. So, War, we great. call that wartime, right? That's, that's, that's right. not peacetime. Right. That's wartime. <laughs> that's exactly right. We talk about
1: that. These are things you need to do in peacetime, not in wartime. But what happens if wartime happens? Well, here, when you have a lawsuit that takes place, is now one of those LLCs down at the bottom. Let's say one of your – we always joke about it. You've got Beach House STR, Mountain Cabin STR. Let's yep. say your Mountain Cabin STR LLC gets attacked. Well, now Arizona law says this. That as long as your partnership agreement provides for it, it allows the limited partner to actually sever the relationship with the general partner in a crisis event, is what the law says. The crisis event has now been defined as a lawsuit. So here's what takes place. In this situation, if you do get sued, the limited partner can exit the relationship with 99% of the ownership of those assets. Do a buyout of 1% to the general partner right. and sever the relationship. So it, it, you can't do that with a, an, an LLC, a Wyoming LLC. If right. you get sued in a Wyoming LLC, everything freezes. Okay. There's something I know now. This is not very exciting. This is boring. No, but I,
0: this <laughs> is fascinating to me. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I like this. Yeah.
1: Well, as attorneys, we get really excited about this as attorneys because here's what the court cares about. They call, they're looking for what they call fraudulent transfers. So like, if you right. get sued, they're saying, wait a minute, did you move something out of here just to avoid this lawsuit or to avoid having to pay out? Right. And if you try to do any of that with a Wyoming LLC, it's a fraudulent transfer. But if you do this with an Arizona-limited partnership and that partnership agreement is set up properly at the beginning, the law has said, no, it's not a fraudulent transfer because it was contemplated in peacetime, like you said, right. prior to the lawsuit taking place. So I want you to notice it's, it's kind of a layered strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about this, not everybody may need that paper plan, that Arizona limited partnership holding company, if they only have one, one asset. But if they're telling me, Hey, I'm going from, you know, one short term rental to however many, or if that one short term rental is worth three million and they pay for it in cash, um, right. you know, right. you, you've got a lot more that you have. To- Right. And,
0: and so my, you know, kind of bringing this full circle, if they can't find you and they can't get to your assets, is it correct for me to assume that typically that lawsuit's going to end with whatever payout they get from the
1: insurance company? Great point. That's exactly right. Because protection under that Arizona limited partnership structure is kind of two parts. One is if it, if you actually have the sever, the severance of it, where the law says that that limited partner can exit, which you just said, then now think about it. There's only 1%. There's a very small amount of assets in that general partner. Well, here's what happens in practice. If I bring a lawsuit as a personal injury attorney against an Arizona limited partnership structure and if it's done properly, it usually never even goes that far because I look, I don't even see the limited partner. I can't even say unless I bring the lawsuit, but I see a Wyoming LLC that your name's not on and I see a one percent ownership, which really is just—I'm just going to see a small amount of assets. Right. And now, personal injury attorneys end up having to go back to their clients, and they have to say, "Guys, look. By the time I go get a co-counsel in Arizona, by the time I have to try to sue through this structure, we could end up—you could end up with less money in your pockets. Let's go back to the insurance company. And let's see if we can get that million dollars up." And so right. you're exactly right. It ends up being very preventative, but if they do move forward it ends up being where they're not able to get as much. Cause I'm going to tell you the biggest purpose of this. You want to diversify your risk by being right. able to pull some of those assets out of that structure. You're limiting how much of it is exposed in kind of that Armageddon scenario. Right. That. You're exactly
0: well, and, right. And I think that, I think this conversation is really timely because, you know, a lot of people that have quite large, you know, wealth, that have a lot of wealth have, you know, been a bit turned off from different investment model, you know, m- modes or what have you, whether it's stock market or different things like that, just because of the economy in general. And there has been, for like the last year, a lot of people, regardless of in- interest rates, have been really focused on buying properties sure. in general, right? Um, Absolutely. And I think that, yes, there's the sexiness to short term rentals just based on the last couple of years, you know, and what the returns have been. And a lot of people are buying in cash to avoid interest rates or what have you because they can. But you just have to be protected. There's a way to go about it. So you're not completely exposed. And it doesn't sound like it all necessarily has to be done at once, but you want to have a plan to eventually fully protect yourself. you know
1: just like you need to have a plan for how and where you're going to buy you know, right. I know you've, had, you've had kenny bedwell on here before great yeah that's insights and just like he is a big proponent of saying hey look don't just start looking everywhere you need to have a plan on where you're going and what you're doing the same thing would happen here if you're planning on moving in a direction to you know purchase these type of assets particularly more of these luxury properties yeah. just having a plan of knowing how i mean look some people don't mind they can go to sleep at night just fine knowing that if a lawsuit happened they might they might be at risk, but other you know other clients of mine, other investors may say, you know, look, if I'm going to spend all this money and invest in this, I think it's important to make sure that I know what my options are and that I'm protected at a level that I can come with.
0: right well Absolutely. and i re- I remember uh, it was we were in miami and bill Bill Faith was saying something yeah. around you know, he was going to retire in three or four years. And then he met you and learned all this stuff. And he's like, okay, I need another year. It's going to be five years. because I got to put all, <laughs> all these things in place. But um, but I I do think it's really important. And and again, one of the biggest reasons I was really excited to have you on is because so many of my clients, you know, so, so a lot of my listeners know, but I'm up in the Northeast, Cape Cod area. Homes are really expensive. They're double from when I started investing in Cape Cod. Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, these are no longer sort of the cheap mom and pop markets. And people are coming in with very, very strong buying power, or they're leveraging, you know, I always teach people how to use leverage. And one of the ways people do that, if their primary home is paid off and they're like, cool, I'm going to retire there in two or three years, anyways. Sweet. I'll just pull that equity out of my primary, put it into this house, buy a cash, but now you're probably exposed in two different ways. So yeah. You know, there's, there's ways that you can do this. How in the world did you figure this all out? And you don't have to share the secret sauce, but that must've taken some elbow grease, huh?
1: Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm very upfront with people. This structure is not, I wasn't in the back room in the, in my science lab, cooking it up and figuring it <laughs> out. Um, this, this structure has been around and it's used in other uh, portions of the real estate industry for decades. Uh, Mm -hmm. The problem is, is, just being frank, a lot of other attorneys like to do the layered LLC approach because it's easier. Um, It's just easier to set up that structure. Um, But frankly, the reason why it became important to me is because I own short-term rentals. Like for my own situation, and ideally, here's what you want in any asset protection structure. You need to have a balance of protection. You need to also have a balance of tax, at least tax neutral or at least tax positive. Because, for instance, if you set up your trust wrong in that limited partnership arrangement, if you set it up as uh, irrevocable instead of revocable, you can end up losing out on a lot of your tax benefits because Uh what can end up taking place is now those cost segregation studies that everybody wants to do, those bonus depreciations because we're still at 80% for this year that you want to be able to do. If you don't set up that asset protection structure correctly, then you can end up losing some of those at tax time because of the way that it's set up. So right. one of the things I always invite people to do, whoever you work with as a lawyer for your asset protection, make sure they're willing to sit down and go over not just the asset protection, but talk to a lender. Make sure it doesn't hurt your debt to income ratio. Right. Also make sure it's, you're going to be able to still get those tax benefits. So that way you all those flow through to your personal return. You want those benefits to hit your personal return so that you can get full advantage of all that.
0: Right that and and so that is where to you know you being a short term rental investor and having that awareness in my opinion is so important right because it's easy for all of us to stay in our lanes sometimes right yeah. but um there's more you know there's more than just cash flow when it comes to rental properties in general right a lot of it is the tax benefits so That I think is a super super strong point. And you know, it's funny, I just sort of had this realization, you know. So I've done I've done house flips, I've done out-of-state burrs, I've done all sorts of stuff. And you always have these teams, right? Whether it's your you know, your agent, contractor, property manager, or it's your cleaner, handyman, and whatever. And it just sort of clicked for me that I, I don't know what this dream team is called, but you know, you get Jeff. Hampton and Ryan bakey in a room and then pull a good lender in there. There's, there's several of them that I know, so I can't pick out one. They'll, they'll all get mad at me, but, um, there's these different sort of, uh, groupings or pods of teams to tap into based on whatever it is, your goals are, but, uh, to have this be a well-oiled machine and a business, I think this is super important. And the other thing I'll say is I was mentioning this to somebody, but we've talked about it. Mike Shogren talks about this all the time, you know, these homes, these assets at some point might be traded as um, like, like they're going to be valued or could be valued based on the income that they're making. It's, it would not surprise any of us. Right. And especially if you have these more luxury properties, lots of equity, it would not surprise me if Marriott or some other you know, really big organization comes knocking at your door in a few years and says, I want to buy that. Right. And knowing that you have these good structures in place, things are done the right way. They're done thoughtfully helps support you in your cause. If that happens to be an exit strategy that you're interested in down the road, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. So yeah, um, because for a venture capital,
1: let's say a venture capital firm comes interested. They want to make sure and separate your involvement from the business because they right. want to buy that business right? right it becomes more difficult to do that if you don't have an entity structure in place that separates you from that activity right. and uh, yeah you're you're exactly right i mean this is uh, these are things that have implications if you want to sell your business and as well as you know the tax benefits of it and i think it's funny how you talk about ryan and some of the yeah. other team, set, team groups that could happen. I will tell you this. The number one complaint I always get from people is they say, every time I talk to a lawyer, he tells me to go talk to a tax guy. Every time I go talk to a tax guy, he tells me to go talk to a <laughs> lawyer. And then what ends up happening is people feel like they never have a meeting of the minds about what's going right. on. Yeah. And so that's one of the areas I always tell folks. It's important that you sit down in the room with your team whatever that is needs to be for you, you sit down in the room with your team and make sure you get the answers you need. Right. Because if you make decisions in the isolation of those other considerations, they can end up coming back and fight. So, absolutely. absolutely.
0: And they always do somehow, some way.
1: Yeah, um,
0: this was awesome. I think that, you know, people got to reach out to you directly to figure out how to actually put this plan into action. Um, Jeff, So, so speaking of that, uh, We'll get into how people can reach you in a minute. What are there any sort of and as we come sort of the top of the hour here, are there any sort of parting words or words of advice that you'd give somebody starting out that maybe has a short-term rental or thinking about getting it and and how they could go about doing it in a safe and educated way?
1: Well, let me just say this. I think one of the most important things is there's a misunderstanding that sometimes people think, well, I'm a, I'm a new investor, so none of these things. Are important they're not that they don't matter and the reality of it is the best time to know this information is when you're a brand new investor i've had investors come to me that already have 20 properties and they're all in their name and they're overwhelmed with how now the task seems very daunting figuring out how right. to get all these things set up so you can, there are things you can do even if you don't feel like you're in a place that you're ready to to actually put something into an llc or get a holding company strategy At a minimum, speak to a professional that can give you good advice about getting good insurance, making good decisions right out of the gate. I have actually personally seen new investors that buy their first property and they just trust their agent. It's a second home policy. They think it's what it is. And then imagine if you get bit in a bad situation on your first property, it will it can derail you from wanting to do any more investing at all. Ever. So I think it's important. that You owe it to yourself to at least learn enough about it. So, you know, this, is, this investing, it's, investing journey is, is, is great. It's fun. The oh. Last thing you need is some legal issue to throw you off where you're headed. And set you backwards. Yeah. I
0: mean, that's, right. that's totally Absolutely. right. So with that, Jeff, um, we're going to end up having your website, your contact, and the show notes. But for anyone just listening, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more or work with you?
1: Absolutely. So the website is strlawguys.com. And anyone that wants to reach out to me personally, it's Jeff J E F F at Strlawguys.com. Uh, and I'll tell you, you got questions? I try to I, I want to be a giver and help people. And I'm not gonna bill you for a question if you have something. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy to to help if I can.
0: Awesome awesome and the the other plug I'll give is that jeff presents at a lot of these different uh short term rental conferences that both kim and i go to um so with that you know always follow along to where we're going usually jeff and i are heading in very similar directions so make sure to attend those conferences if you can and if you have the capacity because that's where i learned about jeff's company and what he's doing and i I'd highly recommend it. And he's a lot of fun to hang out with too. So
1: <laughs> awesome. I appreciate that. Dave. It's just, it's great to meet good people like yourself. The Thank thing you. I love most about this side of the industry, instead of being a guy suing, um, <laughs> I love the relationships I get to have with, with all these great investors doing the same thing I'm trying to do with my own family. It's the best. It's the Absolutely. best.
0: All right. Well, with that, Mr. Jeff Hampton, thank you so much for joining us and uh, You you have a wonderful
1: day. Thank you, sir. You too.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Five Star Co-host, an Airbnb management and consulting company that helps homeowners turn their properties into passive income streams through short-term rentals. Do you want to turn your vacation house into a passive income stream? Then look no further. The Five Star Co-host has served over a thousand guests in several Airbnb properties and in varying markets. The STR co-host or the five star co-host is at the vanguard of the short-term rental industry by leveraging technology systems to maximize the guest experience while achieving high revenue for owners get a free home analysis by emailing the five star co at gmail.com that's the five star co at gmail.com t-h-e-f-i-v-e-s-t-a-r-c-o-h-o-s-t at gmail.com